Welcome back to the Highway to Health Podcast, and thanks for connecting with us again on Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. In this episode, Dr. Ben Kligler from the Veterans Administration will be returning to the podcast. This time out, Dr. Kligler will discuss what he sees happening with artificial intelligence in medicine while also touching on some other interesting topics. Dave Nemo will be your host for this edition of the Highway to Health Podcast. And now let's hand it off to Dave for his feature interview with Dr. Ben Kligler from the Veterans Administration. Dr. Ben, good morning. It's great to talk to you again. Good morning, Dave. I'm really happy to be here. As I mentioned a little bit earlier on the program, we're going to go ancient here on the program and talk about Tai Chi and Qigong, which is even more ancient than Tai Chi. <laughs> and I guess we'll find something even more ancient than Qigong in a few years. These folks have been doing this not for tens or twenty or hundreds, but thousands of years. So it's pretty well rooted, and it's not one of those things that came and went. It is still here. So we'll get in on that. But one of the other things that is top of the list now around the world in every sector, politics especially, is AI. But the American Medical Association just had a big conference and they're concerned. They're very excited about the prospects of AI on the positive side, very concerned about the negative prospects because the yin and yang are always equal. And you and I were talking just briefly here about the Veterans Administration. You guys are ready. Now you're getting an office together to, I won't say tackle, but address artificial intelligence, the good, the bad, and the, well, we don't even know yet, right? Right. Yeah, I think VA, the system is usually pretty tuned in to innovation and potential for new things to help veterans. So artificial intelligence is definitely one of those things because it gives us the capacity to kind of digest massive amounts of data and come out with information or learnings that just human eyes wouldn't be able to extract because there's just too much to look at. So I think in healthcare, there's really a lot of potential for that, for understanding some of the more subtle factors that influence people's health and understanding more some of the benefits or even some of the risks of some of the treatments we have. So anyway, the point is VA is really exploring this actively, kind of looking at what is the potential. And VA also has a particular advantage because we've got one giant kind of medical record repository. It's called the Data Warehouse, where all the electronic information from all the different VA sites flows in. So there's this gigantic repository of data that VA uses a lot for research, but that really opens up a lot of potential applications of AI. I think people's fears about AI and it's going to take over the world and it's going to, et cetera, et cetera. I think we've got to look at those seriously. I personally don't see healthcare as the area of biggest risk for that because healthcare, I don't think is ever going to be effectively delivered without kind of the human element. People are too complicated. I think there's some areas more kind of in the corporate and business world where the race to get the most effective and fastest moving AI technology, maybe there we've really got to slow down and pay attention like some of the experts have said. But I think in healthcare, it's more about kind of the potential to generate new information for us, which ultimately is going to have to be applied by humans. So I think we're excited about it. I know that the VA has a whole division of innovation, and I know they're putting a lot of thought and energy into this right now. 
Yeah, Dave's dumb question of the day. And Lord knows what will happen tomorrow and how fast that's going to develop. We'll call artificial intelligence the big computer. You think the big computer is just going to continue to outpace us and get so far ahead of us that we'll spend most of our time trying to catch up with it? And I don't even know what that means. All of this is forcing us to ask questions that we can't even cobble the questions together at this point. Should right. we just stop talking about it at this time? No, I don't think we can stop talking about it. I think we've got to keep asking the questions because that's the only way we're going to keep not ahead of it, at least keep pace with it. Probably maybe I'm more confident than I should be, but the fact is the kind of healthcare that we're trying to create, this whole health idea, it's just too much dependent on relationships. It can include other people understanding each other, and it doesn't matter how smart computers get. They are just not going to ultimately be able to replicate that. Certain areas of healthcare decision-making, yeah, we're at risk because we don't want to automate them. We always want what's important to the person to be the guiding principle, right? And the machine is not going to be able to know that because to know that you have to listen to somebody. So I think it's good to be vigilant and cautious and really think things through before we go diving into applications. Absolutely. But no, we can't just sit back and say whatever's going to happen is going to happen because that would be the worst thing. Definitely not. About 12, 15 years ago, there was a doctor that was part of our church choir, and he left medicine because he was working for one of these big corporate healthcare systems. That whole hand-on-the-doorknob syndrome was part and parcel of the practice. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. He got out. He went into other areas of healthcare, but kind of gave up that practice because he just couldn't stand the fact that he was being timed. It's almost like a driver with an ELD breathing down your neck trying to find a place to park. And the pressure was too much and the injustice to the patients. But listening to you now, I was kind of going down that path. But now maybe, maybe the human to human doctor patient relationship can go back to the way it was. Maybe when I was a kid back in the 50s, 60s. In other words, where the machine is doing all of that stuff that the doctors and nurses used to do. And now the doctors and nurses can deal with the person. That seems to be the hope. I would say that is the hope. Yeah. And I think part of it is we have to do kind of a really big rethink of what we think is the most important job for the clinician, the doctor, the nurse practitioner, the PA, whoever it is that's providing the care. Is their most important job checking off all the boxes for all the tests they have to order and all that kind of stuff, which really, to be honest, is something that could be automated in some ways because if people are following these algorithms that say, okay, this person has XYZ risk and XYZ age and XYZ experience, they need this test. Then ultimately, the doctor or the practitioner doesn't have to do that, and they can actually talk to the patient about whether the patient actually wants the test. But a lot of the problem is the time pressure on especially primary care doctors and their mm -hmm. practitioners, the mm -hmm. amount they have to do in a day to kind of keep up with the standards that are set for them, it's really crazy. We really actually have to look deeper into the system and say, okay, if you're a hospital executive or you run a healthcare system, what is it you're really valuing for your clinical staff? Are you just pushing them to check these boxes or are you really valuing their willingness to talk to patients? It's a big change. It's a really big change. And it can't all be on single practitioner either. It has to really be a team 
thing. So you got to have a nurse on the team. You've got to have maybe a health coach on the team, a social worker, a pharmacist. And then really when you get this team together, that's when you actually have the potential to really have the time to listen to somebody. Maybe it's not always the doctor that has to do that. Maybe it's somebody else on the team. So we've kind of got to open up the box in terms of how we're thinking about it. I think we're, we're kind of stuck in a little bit of a dead end where we are right now. If you told a group of doctors the same thing you just told me and this group of truck drivers, what would the overall response to that be? Again, another unfair question. I'm sorry. Oh, they <laughs> no, not at all. They would 100% agree. Most people who go into medicine, believe it or not, they go into it because they like people and they like talking to people and they like trying to be helpful to people. They feel overwhelmed by all the tasks that their organizations, their institutions, whatever, are putting on them. They would 100% agree. I think the challenge is more if you said this to a group of hospital executives, what they might say back is, well, but yeah, you know, our insurance reimbursement depends on them doing X, Y, and Z. And if you said it to the insurance executives, they might say, well, but the standards are set by X, Y, and Z groups. So there isn't one single kind of organization or part of the healthcare system that can just sort of say enough of that. But from the doctor point of view, I guarantee you 99% of doctors would agree with that. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. That again, I'll use the word hope again. That's very hopeful. Thanks for taking that detour here. You weren't expecting that. I appreciate you jumping. Well, it's important stuff. Definitely. Indeed. But let's get back to the human element here and the whole health circle of health that VA has put out. The circle of health with the four key elements, me and then self-care. Okay, if I have a kidney stone, yeah, I don't need a doctor or a nurse or even the internet to tell me that I should have an x-ray to see what that stone looks like. I kind of even know that. So in the future, you won't have to waste your time kind of doing these rudimentary, if XYZ is occurring, then we do ABC. Okay, that's a given. So if your car is overheating, then you put some water in the radiator. So rather than have somebody do that, it's done for you. Now you can do the important stuff, circling back to the human question. So I think self-care is going to probably be more popular or more universal because I think people will hopefully get back to the human component in terms of their own place in the healthcare system. Right. You have the most important place if you want to know the truth, because data that says something like 10 to 20 percent of medical outcomes are actually determined by what the healthcare system does. And the rest of it is determined by a combination of social factors like poverty or homelessness, but then also decisions that individual people make about smoking, about drinking, about exercise, about eating. So in a way, when you look at the numbers, actually the decisions that we make as individuals are much more powerful in terms of steering us to better health outcomes than the decisions the doctor's going to make for you. It's a hard message to get across because in our society, we elevate the doctor, big expert, and oh, we're just going to depend on them. But the fact is, you're the one living your life every day. You're the one making those choices. Do I eat an apple or do I eat a pack of Doritos? That's up to you. I think that message is starting to get across more and more. And I think the other thing is that if we can make an effort, and I'll say this quick, what makes people make better choices, right? 
What makes them make better choices is when they know what they want to get out of their life. So why should I care if I eat that apple or the Doritos? Well, I want to be around to see my daughter get married next September. And if I have diabetes or I have a heart condition, well, I got to do what I can to make sure I'm around. So you got to give people the opportunity to think about and talk about what's really, really, really important to them. What's their why? What gives their life meaning? And then if you can connect their decisions about their eating, their exercise, their social relations, if you can make that connection, people are going to be way more motivated to actually make good choices. That's kind of the underpinning of this whole thing we're trying to do with whole health. Understood, understood. The Tai Chi and Qi Gong topic this morning kind of got pushed aside, but let's go back to ancient China here and talk about relaxation, vitality, focus, posture, balance, strength, flexibility, and mood. Tai Chi, it doesn't look like you're doing anything, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, most people, when they do Tai Chi, the movements are very slow. People aren't familiar with Tai Chi and Qi Gong. You've seen those videos or maybe you've even seen live people out in the park or who knows. I was on the beach on vacation last week. I saw somebody doing it on the beach. Maybe the truckers have seen people doing it at truck stops. Who knows? But it's those slow movements, kind of very graceful, not always so easy. Sometimes they require a lot of balance. So it doesn't look like much is happening. But when you get inside it and you try to do it, the actual focus and concentration and kind of being in your body that comes from doing a Tai Chi exercise, it's really powerful. It really changes your state of mind, changes how your body feels. And you don't have to do it for an hour. You can do it for 10, 15 minutes. And it's interesting, in some places you can take Tai Chi further and there's actually Tai Chi kind of comes from a martial art. And there are places where people do Tai Chi in a competition, kind of martial arts competition. So it can be pretty vigorous. And same with Qigong. Qigong is another kind of exercise. It's a little bit more focused on breathing. There are physical movements, obviously, as well, but it's more focused on breathing and centering and kind of sensing the energy that's moving in your body and connecting with that as a way to feel more calm and more centered and more kind of whole and where you want to be at that moment. And Dave, one thing I want to say, particularly just thinking about your audience, I was thinking about this earlier, is some people might be saying, oh, well, but I'm on the move all the time. I'm not taking a Tai Chi class where I've got to show up at the Y once a week for an hour. I'm not yeah. going to be able to do that. But there's so many great resources online for this that you don't need to. You can do this with your phone, with your computer. You can do it at the end of the day, wherever it is you happen to be staying. I wanted people to know about an easy place they can go for that, which is we have up online. It's called Live Whole Health. It's a collection of over 100 short videos of different kinds of self-care practices, including quite a few Tai Chi and Qigong. And they're short videos. They're anywhere from three or four minutes to 15 minutes. And all you got to do is Google Hashtag live whole health. Just Google hashtag live whole health. It will take you to that website. You can find everything you need there in terms of at least getting a start with Tai Chi or Qigong. If you like it, you might end up really wanting to go deeper with it. And then you're talking about a class, but even classes, they can happen online. So they can happen anywhere you are. You don't have to be in the same place every week at the same time. I just wanted to put that out there that that's a place people can get started that's really accessible to you anywhere.
I'm looking at the website right now. Hashtag live whole health. It's all one word, no spaces. And wow, there's a guy looks like a truck driver doing the Tai Chi. He's doing the seated cloud hands pose. That's live whole health number 177, playing with clouds. And there's a thing about headaches. I'm just looking at the front page at some of the things here. Meditation, Tai Chi, heart-centered yoga. In fact, I saw a great comedian from India. She says, if you're rushing to get to yoga, class you're doing it wrong (laughs) (laughs) right absolutely well this is a great website hashtag live whole health chi is in both of those words tai chi chi gong and the chi as i understand is in some traditions it's a place in your body it's like in your gut and i was wondering if there's any relationship to the idea of the biome that we are now understanding that's kind of in our gut or in our body informs the brain is that the chi no i don't think it's as simple as that i think it's connected to be honest because the biome in terms of all the kinds of bacteria and microorganisms that live in your body, we are learning that it affects everything about your body, which is one of the reasons it's crucial to think about what you eat. But it's hard to actually define it. Some people would call it energy. Some people would call it kind of life force. It's very hard to define it in kind of Western scientific terms. But the idea is When I say to you, well, Dave, your energy is good today, or you feel a certain kind of energy flowing through your body today, we don't have like a Western term for that that puts it on a certain organ or a certain part of your body. But at the same time, you know what we're talking about, right? So the idea is there's a way to modify or connect with or kind of straighten out the way that energy is flowing in your body. And that's going to lead to all kinds of things being better. Your organs are going to function better. Your biome ultimately is going to be more healthy. So it's hard to define chi and people have struggled with this for a long time. It's something more about kind of an energy that flows in your body that takes different forms and different parts of your body. I guess that's a good way to say it. That closes out this edition of the Highway to Health Podcast. We would like to take this opportunity to thank you once again for spending part of your day with us on Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Now, folks, you can always find the Highway to Health Podcast through Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo, And let's tell you about a few of the outlets where the podcast is available. You can listen to all of the episodes of the Highway Health Podcast through our website. Or you can subscribe to the podcast through all of the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search Highway to Health. The Highway to Health Podcast is a production of Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo.